Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the December 19th episode, the Monday morning episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I am Wayne Floyd, your host. I want to apologize for not getting uh, an episode out on Sunday. Um, I just still trying to get through this sickness and everything was not able to get something in the can early or to do something during the day. So what we're going to do for today is for this morning segment, I'm going to do a double reading segment um, to get all of our reading in. That's going to end up being like nine chapters we're going to end up reading this morning. Um, I'm happy to do it, but I want to let you let you know up front, it's going to be a little bit longer segment. Uh, my message may not be quite as long, but, but this reading is going to be longer, so just be ready for it. Uh, and with that being said, let's, why don't we go ahead and jump right in. Um, as is our practice on Monday mornings, we're going to go ahead and open with the second day morning prayer, God over all. O God, all sufficient, thou hast made and upholdest all things by the word of thy power. Darkness is thy pavilion. Thou walkest on the wings of the wind. All nations are nothing before thee. One generation succeeds another, and we hasten back to the dust. The heavens we behold will vanish away, like the clouds that cover them. The earth we tread on will dissolve as a morning dream. But thou, unchangeable and incorruptible, art forever and ever. God over all, blessed eternally, infinitely great and glorious art thou. We are thy offspring and thy care. Thy hands have made and fashioned us. Thou hast watched over us with more than parental love, more than maternal tenderness. Thou hast holden our soul in life, and not suffered our feet to be moved. Thy divine power has given us all things necessary for life and godliness. Let us bless thee at all times, and forget not how thou hast forgiven our iniquities, healed our diseases, redeemed our lives, I'm sorry, redeemed our lives from destruction, crowned us with loving kindness and tender mercies, satisfied our mouths with good things, renewed our youth like the eagles. May thy holy scriptures govern every part of our lives and regulate the discharge of all our duties, so that we may adorn thy doctrine in all things. Amen. All right. And our morning devotion for December 19th, uh, the text for it is Proverbs 16.33. The lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. If the disposal of the lot is the Lord's, whose is the arrangement of our whole life? If the simple casting of a lot is, gilded, is guided by him, how much more the events of our entire life, especially when we are told by our blessed Savior, the very hairs of your head are all numbered, not a sparrow falleth to the ground without your father. It would bring a holy calm over your mind, dear friend, if you were already always to remember this. It would so relieve your mind from anxiety that you would be the better able to walk in patience, quiet, and cheerfulness, as a Christian should. When a man is anxious, he cannot pray with faith. 
when he is troubled about the world, he cannot serve his master. His thoughts are serving himself. If you would, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All things would then be added unto you. You are meddling with Christ's business and neglecting your own when you fret about your lot and circumstances. You have been trying providing work and forgetting that it is yours to obey. Be wise and attend to the obeying, and let Christ manage the providing. Come and survey your father's storehouse, and ask whether he will let you starve while he has laid up so great an abundance in his garner. Look at his mercy, I'm sorry, look at his heart of mercy. See if that can even ever prove unkind. Look at his inscrutable witness. See if that will ever be at fault. Above all, look up to Jesus Christ, your intercessor, and ask yourself, while he pleads, can your father deal ungraciously with you? If he remembers even sparrows, will he forget one of the least of his poor children? Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he will sustain thee. He will never suffer the righteous to be moved. My soul, rest happy in thy low estate, nor hope, nor wish, to be esteemed or great, to take the impress of the will divine. Be that thy glory and those riches thine. All right, and now into our reading. All right, we're going to start, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to meld them together. So in this case, we're going to read three chapters out of Second Chronicles instead of just the two we would have. So we're going to start in Second Chronicles 21. And Jehoshaphat slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. And Jehoram, his son, became king in his place. Now he had brothers, the sons of Jehoshaphat, Azariah, Jehiel, Zechariah, Azrihu, Michael, and Shephatiah. All these were the sons of Jehoshaphat, king of Israel. And their father gave, excuse me, gave them many gifts of silver, gold, and precious things, with fortified cities in Judah. But he gave the kingdom to Jehoram, because he was the firstborn. So Jehoram arose over the kingdom of his father, and strengthened himself. And he killed all his brothers with the sword, and some of the commanders of Israel also. Jehoram was thirty-two years old when he became king, and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. And he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, just as the house of Ahab had done. For Ahab, I'm sorry, for Ahab's daughter was his wife, and he did what was evil in the sight of Yahweh. However, Yahweh was not willing to make the house of David a ruin, because of the covenant which he had cut with David, and since he had promised to give a lamp to him and his sons forever. In his day, Edom revolted from under the hand of Judah, and made a king over themselves. Then Jehoram crossed over with his commanders and all his chariots with him, and he arose by night and struck down the Edomites who were surrounding him and the commanders of the chariots. So Edom revolted from under the hand of Judah to this day. Then Libna revolted at the same time from under his hand, because he had forsaken Yahweh, the God of his fathers. Moreover, he made the high places in the mountains of Judah, and caused the inhabitants of Jerusalem to play the harlot, and drove Judah astray. Then a letter came to him from Elijah the prophet, saying, Thus says Yahweh, the God of your father David, because you have not walked in the ways of Jehoshaphat your father, and the ways of Asa king of Judah, but have walked in the way of the kings of Israel, and have caused Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to play the harlot as the house of Ahab played the harlot. And you have also killed your brothers, your own family, who were better than you. Behold, Yahweh is going to smite your people, your sons, your wives, and all your possessions with a great calamity. 
and you will suffer severe sickness, a disease of your bowels, until your bowels come out because of the sickness, day by day. Then Yahweh stirred up against Jehoram the spirit of the Philistines, and the Arabs who bordered the Ethiopians, and they went up against Judah and invaded it, and carried away all the possessions found in the king's house, together with his sons and his wives, so that no son was left to him except Jehoaz, the youngest of his sons. So after all this, Yahweh smote him in his bowels with an incurable sickness. Now it happened in the course of time, at the end of two years, that his bowels came out because of his sickness, and he died with his greatly painful disease, and his people made no fire for him like the fire for his fathers. He was thirty-two years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem eight years, and he departed with no one's regret, and they buried him in the city of David, but not in the tombs of the kings. All right, Second Chronicles 22. Then the inhabitants of Jerusalem made Ahaziah, the youngest son, king in his place, for the band of men who came with the Arabs to the camp had killed all the older sons. So Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, became king. Ahaziah was twenty-two years old when he became king, and he reigned. Sorry, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Athaliah, the granddaughter of Omri. He also walked in the ways of the house of Ahab, for his mother was his counselor to do wicked. And he did what was evil in the sight of Yahweh, like the house of Ahab, for they were his counselors after the death of his father to his destruction. He also walked according to their counsel and went with Jehoram the son of Ahab king of Israel to wage war against Haziel king of Aram at Ramoth-Gilead. But the Arameans struck Joram. So he returned to be healed in Jezreel of the wounds which they caused by striking him at Ramah, when he fought against Haziel king of Aram. And Ahaziah the son of Jehoram king of Judah went down to see Jehoram the son of Ahab in Jezreel because he was sick. Now the downfall of Ahaziah was from God, and that he went to Joram, and when he came, he went out with Jehoram against Jehu the son of Nimshi, whom Yahweh had anointed to cut off the house of Ahab. Now it happened, when Jehu was executing judgment on the house of Ahab, he found the princes of Judah and the sons of Ahaziah's brothers attending to Ahaziah, and killed him. And he sought Ahaziah, and they caught him while he was while he was hiding himself in Samaria, they brought him to Jehu, Jehu, but him put him to death and buried him, for they said, He is the son of Jehoshaphat, who sought Yahweh with all his heart. So there was no one of the house of Ahaziah to retain the power of the kingdom. Now Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son had died. So she rose and destroyed all the royal seed of the house of Judah. But Jehoshabeth, the king's daughter took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him from among the king's sons, who were being put to death, and put him and his nurse in the bedroom. So Jehoshabeth, the daughter of King Jehoram, the wife of Jehoiada, the priest, for she was the sister of Ahaziah, hid him from Athaliah, so she did not put him to death. So he was hidden with them in the house of God six years, while Athaliah was reigning over the land. All right, Second Chronicles 23. All right. Now in the seventh year, Jehoiah strengthened himself and took commanders of hundreds, Azariah the son of Jeroham, Ishmael the son of Johanan, Azariah the son of Obed, Messiah the son of Adaiah, and Elishaphat the son of Zikri, 
and they entered into a covenant with him. And they went around Judah and gathered the Levites from all the cities of Judah and the heads of the father's households of Israel, and they came to Jerusalem. Then all the assembly cut a covenant with the king in the house of God. And Jehoiada said to them, Behold, the king's son shall reign as Yahweh has spoken concerning the sons of David. This is the thing which you shall do. One third of you of the priests and Levites who come in on the Sabbath shall be gatekeepers at the thresholds. And one third shall be at the king's house, and a third at the gate of the foundation. And all the people shall be in the courts of the house of Yahweh. But let no one enter the house of Yahweh except the priests and the ministering Levites. They may enter, for they are holy, and let all the people keep the charge of Yahweh. And the Levites will surround the king, each man with his weapons in his hand. And whoever enters the house, let him be put to death, and be with the king when he comes in and when he goes out. So the Levites and all Judah did according to all that Jehoiada, the priest, commanded. And each one of them took his men who were to come in on the Sabbath with those who were to go out on the Sabbath. For Jehoiada, Jehoiada the priest did not dismiss any of the divisions. Then Jehoiada the priest gave to the commanders of hundreds the spears and the shields and the small shields which had been King David's which were in the house of God. And he caused all the people to stand, each man with his weapon in his hand, from the right side of the house to the left side of the house, by the altar and by the house around the king. Then they brought out the king's son and put the crown on him and gave him the testimony and made him king. And Jehoiada and his sons anointed him and said, Long live the king. Then Athaliah heard the noise of the people running and praising the king. So she came into the house of Yahweh to the people. And she looked, and behold, the king was standing by his pillar at the entrance, and the commanders and the trumpeters were beside the king. And the people of the land were glad and blew the trumpet, the singers with their musical instruments leading the praise. Then Athaliah tore her clothes and said, Treason, treason. Then Jehoiada the priest brought out the commanders of hundreds who were appointed over the military force and said to them, Bring her out between the ranks, and whoever follows her, let him be put to death with the sword. For the priest said, You shall not put her to death in the house of Yahweh. So they laid hands on her, and when she arrived at the entrance of the horse gate of the king's house, they put her to death there. Then Jehoiada cut a covenant between himself and all the people and the king, that they would be the people of Yahweh. And all the people came to the house of Baal, and tore it down, and his altars and his images they broke in pieces. And they killed Matan, the priest of Baal, before the altars. And Jehoiada placed the assign placed the assignments concerning the house of Yahweh in the hand of the Levitical priests, whom David had divided by lot to be over the house of Yahweh, to offer the burnt offerings of Yahweh, as it is written in the law of Moses, with gladness and singing according to the order of David. And he caused the gatekeepers of the house of Yahweh to stand, so that no one would enter who was in any way unclean. And he took the commanders of hundreds, the nobles, the rulers of the people, and all the people of the land, and brought the king down from the house of Yahweh. And they came through the upper gate to the king's house, and they sat the king upon the royal throne. So all of the people of the land were glad, and the city was quiet, for they had put Athaliah to death with the sword. All right, now Revelation 9. Then the fifth angel sounded. Then I saw a star from heaven, which had fallen to the earth, and the key of the pit of the abyss was given to him. 
and he opened the pit of the abyss, and smoke went up out of the pit, like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth, and power was given them, as the scorpions of the earth have power. And they were told not to hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not permitted to kill anyone, but to torment for five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. And in those days men will seek death and will never find it. They will long to die, and death flees from them. And the appearance of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. And on their heads appeared to be crowns like gold. And their faces were like the faces of men. And they had hair like the hair of women. And their teeth were like the teeth of lions. And they had breastplates like breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots, of many horses running to battle. And they have tails like scorpions, and stings, and in their tails is their power to hurt men for five months. They have as king over them the angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in the Greek he has the name Apollyon. One woe is past. Behold, two woes are still coming after these things. Then the sixth angel sounded. And I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar which is before God, one saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who have been bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels were released, who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year, so that they would kill a third of mankind. And the number of the armies of the horsemen was two hundred million. I heard the number of them. And this is how I saw in the vision the horses and those who sit on them. The riders had breastplates the color of fire and of hyacinth and of brimstone. And the heads of the horses are like the heads of lions. And out of their mouths come fire and smoke and brimstone. A third of mankind was killed by these three plagues, by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their nostrils. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents having heads, and with them they do harm. And the rest of mankind, who were not killed by these plagues, did not repent of the works of their hands, so as not to worship demons, and the idols of gold, and of silver, and of brass, and of stone, and of wood, which can neither see, nor hear, nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their sexual immorality, nor of their thefts. All right. And now Revelation 10. Then I saw another strong angel coming down out of heaven, clothed with a cloud, and the rainbow was upon his head, and his face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire, and he had in his hands a little scroll which was open. He placed his right foot on the sea, and his left on the earth, and he cried out with a loud voice, as when a lion roars, and when he had cried out, the seven peals of thunder uttered their voices. And when the seven peals of thunder had spoken, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up the things which the seven peals of thunder have spoken, and do not write them. Then the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the earth lifted up his right hand to heaven, and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things in it, and the earth and the things in it, and the sea and the things in it, that there will be delay no longer. But in the days of the voice of the seven angels, when he is about to sound, then the mystery of God is finished, as he proclaimed good news to his slaves, the prophets. <clears throat> 
Then the voice which I heard from heaven, I heard again speaking with me and saying, Go, take the scroll which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the angel, telling him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, Take it and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll out of the angel's hand and ate it. And in my mouth it was sweet as honey. And when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And they said to me, You must prophesy again about many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. All right, and now we're going to Zechariah 5, and i got to have some water. All right, Zechariah 5. Then I lifted up my eyes again, and saw, and behold, a flying scroll. And he said to me, What do you see? And I said, I see a flying scroll. Its length is twenty cubits, and its width ten cubits. Then he said to me, This is the curse that is going forth over the face of the whole land. Surely everyone who steals will be purged away according to the writing on one side, and everyone who swears will be purged away according to the writing on the other side. I will make it go forth, declares Yahweh of hosts, and it will enter the house of the thief and the house of the one who swears falsely by my name, and it will spend the night within that house and consume it with its timber and stone. Then the angel who was speaking with me went out and said to me, Lift up now your eyes and see what this is going forth. So I said, What is it? And he said, This is the ephah going forth. Again he said, This is their appearance in all the land. And behold, a lead cover was lifted up, and this is the woman sitting inside the ephah. Then he said, This is wickedness. And he threw her down into the middle of the ephah and threw the lead weight on its opening. Then I lifted up my eye and saw, and behold, two women were coming out with the wind in their wings, and they had wings like the wings of a stork, and they lifted up the ephah between the earth and the heavens. And I said to the angel who was speaking with me, Where are they taking the ephah? Then he said to me, To build a house for her in the land of Shinar, and when it is prepared, she will be set there on her own pedestal. All right, in Zechariah 6. <clears throat> Then I, then I lifted up my eyes again and saw, and behold, four chariots were coming forth from between the two mountains, and the mountains were bronze mountains. With the first chariot were red horses, with the second chariot black horses, with the church char third chariot white horses, and with the fourth chariot dappled horses, all of them mighty. Then I answered and said to the angel who was speaking with me, What are these, my lord? And the angel answered and said to me, these are the four spirits of heaven, going forth after standing before the Lord of all the earth, with one of which the black horses are going forth to the north country, and the white ones go forth after them, and the dappled ones go forth to the south country. Now the mighty ones went out, and they sought to go to patrol the earth. And he said, Go, patrol the earth. So they patrolled the earth. Then he cried out to me and spoke to me, saying, See, those who are going to the land of the north have caused my spirit to have rest in the land of the north. And the word of Yahweh came to me, saying, Take an offering from the exiles, from Heldai, Tobijah, and Jediah, and you come the same day, and come into the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah, where they have come from Babylon. And take silver and gold, 
make an ornate crown, and set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Then you will say to him, Thus says Yahweh of hosts, Behold, a man whose name is Branch, and he will branch out from where he is, and he will build the temple of Yahweh. Indeed, it is he who will build the temple of Yahweh, and he who will bear the splendor, and sit and rule on his throne. Thus he will be a priest on his own throne, and the council of peace will be between the two offices. Now the crown will become a memorial in the temple of Yahweh to Helim, Tobijah, Jediah, and Hen, the son of Zephaniah. And those who are far off will come and build the temple of Yahweh. Then you will know that Yahweh of hosts has sent me to you, and it will happen if you utterly listen to the voice of Yahweh your God. All right, now John, the Gospel of John, we're in John 8. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people were coming to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, and having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery, in the very act. Now in the law of Moses, com- now in the law Moses commanded us to stone such women. What then do you say? They were saying this, testing him, so that they might have evidence to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone, and the woman, where she was in the center of the court. Straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go, and from now on sin no more. Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your witness is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I bear witness about myself, my witness is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I am not judging anyone, but even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone in it, but I am the Father who sent me. Even in your law it has been written that the witness of two men is true. I am he who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. So they were saying to him, Where is your father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he was teaching in the temple, and no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Then he said again to them, I am going away, and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews were saying, Surely he will not kill himself, since he says, Where I am going, you cannot come. And he was saying to them, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they were saying to him, Who are you? 
Jesus said to them, What have I been saying to you from the beginning? I have many things to say and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and the things which I heard from him, these I am saying to the world. They did not know that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said, When when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and I do nothing for myself, but I from myself, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And he was speaking these things, I'm sorry, as he was speaking these things, many believed in him. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's seed, and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say, You will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. And the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's seed, yet you are seeking to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore you also do the things which you heard from your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you are Abraham's children, you would do the deeds of Abraham. But now you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. They said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have not even come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my words. You are of your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning, and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason you do not hear them, because you are not of God. The Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. But I do not seek my glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death, ever. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, and the prophets also. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste of death, ever. Surely you are not greater than our father Abraham who died. The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. And you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say that I do not know him, I will be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. 
Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Therefore they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. All right, John 9. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this was so that the works of God might be manifested in him. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground, made clay of the saliva, and rubbed the clay on his eyes, and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went away and washed, and came back seeing. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, Is not this the one who used to sit and beg? Others were saying, This is he. Still others were saying, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I'm the one. So they were saying to him, How then were your eyes opened? He answered, The man who was called Jesus made clay and rubbed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So when I went away and washed, I received sight. And they said to him, Where is he? He said, I don't know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who was formerly blind. Now it was a Sabbath on the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees also were asking him again how he received his sight. And he said to them, He applied clay to my eyes, and I washed, and I see. So then some of the Pharisees were saying, This man is not from God, because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, How can a sinful man do such things? And there was a division among them. Therefore they said to the blind man again, What do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, He is a prophet. Then the Jews did not believe it of him that he was blind and had received sight, until they called the parents of the very one who had received his sight, and questioned them, saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? So his parents answered and said, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. For this reason, his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. Therefore a second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He then answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. So they said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to listen again? Do you want to become his disciples too? And they reviled him and said, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, Well, here's a marvelous thing. 
that you do not know where he is from, and he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he listens to him. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, You were born entirely in sins, and are you teaching us? So they put him out. Jesus heard that they had put him out, and after finding him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, so that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, Are we blind too? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now that you say we see, your sin remains. All right, that is our reading for yesterday and today. Let's go ahead and close up. This has been pretty long. Uh, we're going to close up with a prayer from Valley of Vision. It's called The Life Look. Let's pray. O oh God, I bless thee for the happy moment when I first saw thy law fulfilled in Christ. Wrath appeased, death destroyed, sin forgiven, my soul saved. Ever since thou hast been faithful to me, Daily have I proved the power of Jesus' blood. Daily have I known the strength of the Spirit. My teacher, director, sanctifier, I want no other rock to build upon this. I'm sorry, to build upon than that I have desire no, desire no other hope than that of gospel truth. Need no other look than that which gazes on the cross. Forgive me if I have tried to add anything to the one foundation. If I have unconsciously relied upon my knowledge, experience, deeds, and not seen them as filthy rags, if I have attempted to complete what is perfect in Christ, may my cry be always, only Jesus, only Jesus. In him is freedom from condemnation, fullness in his righteousness, eternal vitality in his given life, indissoluble union in fellowship with him. In him I have all that I can hold. Enlarge me to take in more. If I backslide, let me, like Peter, weep bitterly and return to him. If I am tempted and have no wit, give me strength enough to trust in him. If I am weak, may I faint upon his bosom of eternal love. If in extremity, let me feel that he can deliver me. If driven to the verge of hope and to the pit of despair, grant me grace to fall into his arms. O oh God, hear me, do for me more than I ask, think, or dream. Amen. All right. Well, that is our morning segment for this morning. Um, I will, as always, I would implore you that go do all that you do for the glory of God, every little thing. And God willing, I will see you this evening. Have a great one. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the, uh, let's see, it's December 19th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. Um, again, I'd like to apologize for there not being an episode yesterday. 
Um, just could not get it together um, either the night before or during yesterday. Um, and as you saw with the morning segment, we did a double reading segment. And now we're going to go on with our with our message this evening, um, which was the message I would have done last evening. Um, so we didn't you didn't miss anything there. If, if you miss anything when I'm preaching and you don't hear it. So um, but let's go ahead and open up um, with another prayer from Valley of Vision. This one is called God the All. So let's pray. O God, whose will conquers all, there is no comfort in anything apart from enjoying thee and being engaged in thy service. Thou art all in all, and all enjoyments are what to me thou makest them and no more. I am well pleased with thy will, whatever it is, or should be in all respects. And if thou bidst me decide for myself in any affairs, I would choose to refer all to thee. For thou art infinitely wise and cannot do amiss as I am in danger of doing. I rejoice to think that all things are at thy disposal, and it's delight, and it delights me to leave them there. Then prayer turns wholly into praise, and all I can do is to adore and bless thee. What shall I give thee for all thy benefits? I am in a strait betwixt two, knowing not what to do. I long to make some return, but have nothing to offer, and can only rejoice that thou doest all that none in heaven or on earth shares thy honor. I can of myself do nothing to glorify thy blessed name, but I can through grace cheerfully surrender soul and body to thee. I know that thou art the author and finisher of faith, faith that the whole work of redemption is thine alone, that every good work or thought found in me is the effect of thy power and grace that thy sole motive in working in me to will and to do is for thy good pleasure. O God, it is amazing that men can talk so much about man's creaturely power and goodness, when if thou didst not hold us back every moment, we should be devils incarnate. This, by bitter experience, thou hast caught me concerning, has taught me concerning myself. Amen. All right, now the evening devotion for December 19th. Uh, the text for it is Revelation 21.1, And there was no more sea. Scarcely could we rejoice at the thought of losing the glorious old ocean. The new heavens and the new earth are none the fairer to our imagination. If indeed literally there is to be no great and wide sea, with its gleaming waves and shelly shores. Is not the text to be read as a metaphor, tinged with the prejudice with which the oriental mind universally regarded the sea in the olden times. A real physical world without a sea, it is mournful to imagine. It would be an iron ring without the sapphire which made it precious. There must be a sp spiritual meaning here. In the new dispensation, there will be no division. The sea separates nations and sunders peoples from each other. To John in Patmos, the deep waters were like prison walls, shutting him out from his brethren and his work. There shall be no such barriers in the world to come. Leagues of rolling, of rolling billions lie between us and many a kinsman whom tonight we prayerfully remember. But in the bright world to which we go, there shall be unbroken fellowship for all the redeemed family. In this sense, there shall be no more sea. The sea is the emblem of change, with its ebbs and flows, its glassy smoothness and its mountainous billows, its gentle murmurs and its tumultuous roarings. It is never long the same. Slave of the fickle winds and the changeful moon, its instability is proverbial. 
In this mortal state, we have too much of this. Earth, it's constant only in her inconstancy. But in the heavenly state, all mournful change shall be unknown, and with it all fear of storm to wreck our hopes and drown our joys. The sea of glass glows with a glory unbroken by a wave. No tempest howls along the peaceful shores of paradise. Soon shall we reach that happy land where partings and changes and storms shall be ended. Jesus will waft us there. Are we in him or not? This is the grand question. All right. So we're going to continue on in our study of John. Um, and again, this message may not be very long, but I, I wanted to deal with the next the, these next couple of verses. Because um, what we get into here, so we're dealing with the incarnation. We got into, in verse 14, the word becoming flesh. And so we, we've talked about what that really means and how important it is that we understand what that really means, that Jesus being fully God and fully man, fully God and fully man. And he has to be both for his propitiatory work for us to be worthwhile, to be successful in any way, shape or form. Otherwise it can't be. And there are way too many, um, there were way too many groups in the past that tried to put aside one or the other. Um, and there are too many now currently that, that we see trying to do the same thing. And, and it's critical that we, we not let them do that, but that continues on. So we've, like I said, we've seen that there's the incarnation, but then there are the witnesses of that incarnation, the witnesses to the fact that there are the incarnation. So in verse 15, we see John the Baptist as one of those witnesses. So verse 15, we're going to deal with 15 and 16. So I'll read them both. John bore witness about him and cried out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has been ahead of me for he existed before me for of his fullness. We have all received and grace upon grace. So again, we're going to go back. We're going to talk first 15 first. John the Baptist. <laughs> Sorry, John the Baptist. And again, John the apostle speak is again, speaking here of John the Baptist, John bore witness about him and cried out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has been ahead of me for he existed before me. So let's break that down. Okay. So he speaks of Christ. He who comes after me has been ahead of me. He He's acknowledged. He's acknowledging the, a, a number of different facts. Um, but key to this is the fact that. John's ministry started for one. John is older than Jesus. They're relatives, but John is older than Jesus. John was born first. John has come into ministry first. So Jesus is coming after him in that mode. The fact is Jesus comes to be baptized by John before he starts his earthly ministry. Okay. That's an acknowledgement of that, that John came first. So Jesus came after but notice John's statement came after me, has been ahead of me. This again is that same um, reflection on the fact um, where we were talking. Um, uh, where is it? Uh, ah, here we go. That uh, when we were speaking of John um, the Baptist back in uh, John 1 verse 8, 
Um, he was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. Um, and we see him repeatedly. I mean, we saw him, we see him later in chapter one where he makes very, very clear. They keep trying to ask him, is he Elijah? Are you the prophet? Of course, that prophet that Moses spoke of that they're referring to is actually Jesus. That that's who it is. Um, but he's saying, I'm not Elijah. I'm not the prophet. I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Messiah. Um, but he goes on to say, and this is, this is later on in, in this chapter. And again, please, you know, don't get too caught up in the gospel of John trying to be chronological. Yes, it generally is chronological, but you have to understand John, the apostle is writing this from a time 50 some years down the road. And I'm not saying that to call into question his recollection because he's being recollected. He's being driven through the Holy spirit. But what I am saying is that he says some of that preface and then gets into, so we're still in the preface in verses 15 and 16. And then we see here, um, up in verses, uh, 20 and on, uh, where, there's actually um, the Jews, and in this case, we'll talk about it. When, they, when John the Apostle speaks of the Jews, he's talking the Jewish leadership, comes to John the Baptist and say, hey, who are you? You know, and they, they are you this person? Are you this person? They're trying to find out. And the ones that were sent are trying to find out so they can go tell the ones who sent them. But John says, I baptize with water. This verse 26, I baptize with water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. This one is he who comes after me of whom I am not worthy to untie the strap of his sandal. And he goes on and says other things like this. Um, uh, verse 30, this is he of whom I said, this is after he calls him the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He goes on in verse 30. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who has been ahead of me for he existed before me. This is again, a confirmation of the, of this prologue, um, verses one through 18. Okay. Again, this is one ahead of him. This is John making very, very clear that he's not the Messiah, that he's the forerunner. Um, because we see, yeah, um, in John verses three, um, you, he's speaking to his own disciples. Um, you yourselves are my witnesses that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase, but I must decrease. This is what John is saying back here in John 1. He's making that, he is that same witness here um, that John bore witness. This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has been ahead of me. He's, he's making clear, Jesus is the foremost. Jesus Christ is the foremost. John is only the forerunner. He came after him in birth order and in and in starting his ministry. And and most ki cases in that time, people would say, oh, well, he's lesser. No, John's making clear. He's been ahead of me. And he goes ahead and even, even more hammers at home for he existed before me. Now, of course, the people then could look at the birth records and go, whoa, 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 wait, he was born after you. John is clearly acknowledging the eternality of Christ. John is making very, very clear that he understands um, what we just read today in our reading in John 8. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, 
I am, meaning that he existed from eternity to eternity, that he existed before time, that he existed before the foundation of the earth. Jesus said that. John is acknowledging that. That's what he's saying. For he existed before me. Um, we see Jesus say this, Revelation 22, and that he's saying to John, I am the Alpha the o- and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. John is recognizing that. That's what John is saying here. That's what he is to witness to. He's making clear that, yes, I have interacted with him, and he is he is incarnate. But he is also deity. John is showing us both sides of it, fully God and fully man. He would have to be fully God. Otherwise, he couldn't be eternal. He would have to be fully man. Otherwise, he could not follow, come after John. John is showing them both right here. But John isn't the only witness here either that, that we deal with. We also see the witness of the believers themselves. This is verse 16. This is including the Bible. For of his fullness, Christ's fullness, we have all received and grace upon grace. They've received the fullness, the fullness of his preaching, the fullness of his peace, the fullness of his grace, the fullness of his love. They've received that. And when this says, and grace upon grace, the way that really translates is grace after grace, after grace, after grace, after grace, continuous overflowing grace. In spite of their sin, in spite of their failures, uh, think about Peter, who, you know, one one minute that, that you know, hey, you've, sh- you've given me a revelation from God, and next minute, get behind me, Satan, you know, um, you know, turn around and, oh, all these great things from, you know, from the, the Last Supper, and then he denies him, okay, Peter's not perfect, um, Peter, and Peter ain't the only one. Um, the, re- the rest of them have these same problems, so I'm, I'm not trying to bash on Peter. But they received the fullness of Christ. They were the witnesses. That's what John the Apostle is saying here. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. He's saying they received the fullness of his teaching, of his witness, of, of his miracles, um, of the peace, of the grace. They've been filled. They are so full um, right to the point of being filled with the Holy Spirit. It hasn't come yet. We see that come in the book of Acts. But they are so packed up with this. They are so filled up with this. He's trying to say, we are the witnesses. We are witnesses of his incarnation. And again, like I said, John is dealing with people that have tried, that that in his century, and we've got them now. Um, I spoke of the Docetists, that spirit good, flesh bad. So no, if Jesus is truly God is truly God or part of the Trinity. He can't be flesh. So they tried to claim he was some kind of spirit bouncing around or something along those lines. And I forget it's, there's much more technical and I'm sorry, I didn't really dig into that, but that's, that was what the docetists were pushing. And that's what John is dealing with. No, no, no. He was here and he filled us up to the fullness, but not only that, but we have John, the John, the Baptist, we heard John, the Baptist, and and you've heard the stories of John, the Baptist say, this man came after me, but he's ahead of me. He's greater than I am. I'm not even worthy to untie his shoe, his sandal. And of course in our world, and, and I'll deal with it more when we get to those verses, but that was the job for the least of the slaves because the, the the stuff they walked around in back there, it's just like um, um, if I've ever talked about, and I think I have on the podcast, about Jesus in the upper room washing their feet, that was the job of the lowliest of slaves. But Jesus did it. 
he did it. This, this is kind of the same thing. John is saying, I'm not even worthy to be that guy to untie his sandals. And then he goes on to say, and he existed before me, which in man's sense, in the fleshly, is not possible. But again, like I said, John the, John the Baptist identifying and acknowledging the deity of Christ there, the full deity, that he is eternal, but he is, that he is in man form, fully man, come after me to do his will. But he is still greater than I am. And, and like I said, again, verse 16, as we saw, for his fullness we have all received and grace upon grace. And how wonderful it must have been for them to be there. And I, and I, I've, I know I've done it over the years um, and I've gotten better about it as I've become more mature in my walk. Um, and I hope you would too. Um, it's really easy to sit there and go, oh, it would have been so great to be, be one of the disciples and be right there with Jesus and all that stuff. Yeah, there, there was a reason. I, if you ever catch it, I, I, you should, because Jesus is very, very clear. I have to go so that the helper can come. Jesus was very, very clear for the disciples to carry out their mission. And let's be clear, that includes you and me. We're not establishing it. Excuse me, I got to get some water. We're not establishing the faith. We're carrying on the faith. That is our that is our command. We are to be carrying on the faith. We have our orders. We are to be carrying on the faith. And to do that, we needed the Holy Spirit. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And if we've come to a saving faith in Christ, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And we are filled with every bit we need. The Holy Spirit should be filling us up over and over and over. We should be walking in the Spirit as we saw when we were studying in Ephesians 5. We are to be walking in the Spirit. And if that is the case, we are filled up to the fullest. We are so much, we are so much better equipped than if we were sitting there with the disciples walking with Jesus. Don't get me wrong. That would be great. But we are the witnesses now. They're no longer with us. John the Baptist isn't with us. Those believers, including the apostles, aren't with us. But you and I are here. And we've got to understand what's being shown here in verses 14, 15, 16, and the rest of the prologue. And throughout this, and throughout this gospel, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He is fully God and he is fully man. And in those two perfect unmeshed, unmerged, unfolded, unmutilated parts. He was our perfect propitiation. It's like I said a couple of nights ago, that in his perfect flesh, he walked a perfectly sinless life. So that upon you and I being regenerated and brought to a saving faith in Christ, he can drape us in that robe of purity, in that robe of righteousness that he earned, not we earned. And he can take on himself our dirty, nasty rags of our sin, our disgusting sin, and drape himself in them. And he can climb up on that cross and he can take that eternity of punishment that you and I deserve so that we can stand holy and blameless before a just God. And he can't do any of that if he is not both fully God and fully man. 
And so John the Apostle is leading in here, making clear that he became flesh. He dwelt among us and they beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten from the father, the, the first, the primary, the primo, the lead from the father, full of grace and truth. And that John bore witness of him. John the Baptist bore witness of him and made very, very clear both he was fully man and he was fully God. And thus he was the Messiah. And John the Baptist saying that, he's making very clear, he is the Messiah. These things he said hit all of the prophecies. He's the Messiah. And then as John go, John the Apostle goes on, for his of his fullness, we have all received and grace upon grace. And they did then and we have now. Because he's not walking beside us. He's dwelling within us. Christ is dwelling within us along with the Trinity. For of his fullness, you and I have all received and grace upon grace gets poured out over us because you and I deserve absolutely nothing but death and eternal torment. And yes, I'm very, very fervent about this. Very, um, I can't even think of the right word. But yes, I'm very being very energetic about this, not for fun, but because it is your life. It is your eternal life. And it is critical that you know this and that you turn from your sins, that you leave them at the foot of the cross. You mortify them there and that you turn away and walk the worthy walk. That, that if you are not saved, that you hit your knees and you beg for the work of the Holy Spirit within you. You beg God to forgive you because we need it. Because without that, all we, all we are going to get is a life of eternal torment. And it's what we deserve. And there is no other way to it except front through the God-man, Jesus Christ. All right. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. We're going to go ahead and close with the second day evening prayer. Bounty. Let's pray. Thou great and only potentate, thou hast made summer and winter, day and night. Each of these revolutions serves our welfare and is full of thy care and kindness. Thy bounty is seen in the relations that train us, the laws that defend us, the homes that shelter us, the food that builds us, the raiment that comforts us, the continuance of our health excuse me, the continuance of our health, members, senses, understanding, memory, affection, will. But as stars fade before the rising sun, thou hast eclipsed all these benefits and the wisdom and grace that purposed redemption by Jesus thy Son. Blessed be thy mercy that laid help on one that is mighty and willing, one that is able to save to the uttermost. Make us deeply sensible of our need of his saving grace, of the blood that cleanses, of the rest he has promised, and impute to us that righteousness which justifies the guilty, gives them a title to eternal life and possession of the Spirit. May we love the freeness of salvation and joy in its holiness. Give us faith to grasp thy promises that are, that are our hope. Provide for every exigency and prevent every evil. Keep our hearts from straying after forbidden pleasures. May thy will bind all our wishes. Let us live out, out of the world as to its spirit, maxim, manners. 
but live in it as the sphere of our action and usefulness. May we be alive to every call of duty, accepting without question thy determination of our circumstances and our service. Amen. All right. Well, I hope you have a wonderful evening. Um, I hope you did throughout today do all that you did for the glory of God. And God willing, I will see you tomorrow morning. I love you. And uh, I hope you have a wonderful evening. Have a good one. God bless. Thank you.